Hey there, this is Brian Zond. We'll get to the sermon in a moment, but I want to talk for just a second about the water to wine gathering that's coming up June 11, 12, 13 here in St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, This is a gathering for people who, we could say it this way, they sense the falseness prevailing in Americanized Christianity and they're looking for something better. We call it water to wine because that's kind of the journey for a lot of people. You move beyond a watered-down, weak Christian faith and you begin to discover something more rich, more robust, more intoxicating, the kind of faith that Jesus wants us to have. And so I've invited a lot of my close friends to come and be presenters. It's going to be fantastic. And you can register now at watertowinegathering.com. Don't go to watertowine.com. That'll just get you wine. You got to go to watertowinegathering.com. It has all the information, what the workshops are and who's presenting and how you can register. But go ahead and do that because we would love to spend a few days with you right here in St. Joseph, Missouri for Water to Wine Gathering 2020. So people ask why we observe the season of Lent, and I always have one answer. We observe the season of Lent because of Jesus. Lent is all about Jesus. It's an ancient tradition to help us connect to and follow Jesus. And so again today here on the second Sunday of Lent, we're going to find ourselves with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the title of the message today is The Brightness of Jesus. As we follow Jesus, we're going to see his face transfigure. We're going to see the brightness of Jesus today. Have you ever encountered a a bright light that is so bright that it's almost blinding. This is the experience that you have if you ever go to the movies in the afternoon and you come out and the sun is still shining. I got fond memories of being a child and going to the movies during the summertime. Because back when I was growing up, there was no Netflix, there was no iPads, there was no Hulu, there was no YouTube. I grew up in the dark ages before the internet. I see these parents with kids in the grocery store and they hand them their phone and I'm like, where was this when I had young kids or when I was a child myself? I remember though being a kid and in the summertime we're often playing outside as you do and growing up here in St. Joe, I remember like late July, early August where it's hot. And I remember on one occasion I was playing outside with some neighborhood friends and my mom said, Hey, how would you guys like to go to the movies? And man, as a kid growing up in the eighties in the summertime heat of St. Joe with that heat and humidity, I loved hearing that because you got to get out of the heat You get to sit in the air conditioning with your popcorn and your Coke to enjoy a movie. And I remember on one occasion, it was late August. It was the dog days of August. And it's summertime and we're out playing because, of course, you're not in school yet. Because back in the day, we didn't go to school till September. And it was hot and my mom called outside and said, hey, how would you boys like to go to the movies? And it was the summer of 1985, and we went to go see Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox. Oh, man. Great movie. But I remember going, and it was afternoon, and we went to see the movie. And I distinctly remember when the movie was over, because, you know, when you're in the theater, your eyes adjust to the, to the darkness. 
And I remember walking out of the theater and busting open those doors outside and literally being blinded by how bright the sun was. And so today we are going to be journeying with Jesus and his disciples, and we're going to see another kind of brightness. We're going to see the brightness of Jesus. Peter, James, and John were with Jesus, and they had a jarring, they had a life-altering experience with Jesus. Let's jump right in and see what, uh, what happens here on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's start Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now we're told that this event took place six days later. Six days after what? Well, it was six days after Jesus had all of his disciples together and he asked them saying, who do people say that I am? And Peter, often being the first to speak, said, you are the Christ. Because they, they had said that, that, well, people are saying that you're, you're John, you're, you're Jeremiah, or you're one of the prophets, come again. But Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who said that you are the Messiah, that you are the son of the living God. And of course, Peter is praised for saying that Jesus even changes his name, which is a big deal. So Peter walking all proud and thinking highly of himself, then hears Jesus say these surprising words that they were indeed going to go to Jerusalem and there Jesus was going to be rejected and killed. And Peter's Beside himself, because this, this can't happen. Peter just said he, that Jesus is going to be the Messiah. That that's who he is. That he is the Jewish anointed king. That he was coming to rule. That he was coming to reign. That he was coming to conquer. You can't go to Jerusalem and die. You have to go to Jerusalem and rule and reign. And so Peter, of course, always being the first to speak, says to Jesus, because he's got to correct Jesus a little bit. And he says, well, well God forbid this, this can't happen to you. And so Jesus rebukes Peter, indeed calls him Satan, and the disciples are left wondering what this was about. And so Jesus uses this opportunity to say to his disciples, if you want to follow me, if you want to indeed be my follower, then deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. These are words for the Lenten season. These are, these are Lenten words. If we want to be followers of Jesus, Jesus tells us that we must too deny ourselves and take up our cross indeed if we want to follow him. The season of Lent is about learning to follow Jesus in the way of the cross. That was six days ago, and now Jesus takes not all of his disciples, but he takes Peter, James, and John, three of the disciples that were a part of Jesus' inner circle. They were perhaps closest to Jesus in intimacy, and Jesus takes these three guys up onto a mountaintop, and there they saw something amazing. Verse 2, and they're on that mountaintop. 
He was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. In a moment, Jesus, the Jesus whom they had known changed. This son of Joseph, this son of a carpenter, this prophet and preacher who had preached and taught with such authority and done miracles changed. He was different. He was indeed transfigured. Jesus, who was and is fully man, revealed to Peter, James, and John that he was also fully God. In that moment, Jesus, who was real humanity, allowed the light of God's divine presence to shine through him. Gregory of Palamas from the 14th century taught this in a sermon. He writes, we believe that the transfiguration, that at the transfiguration, he, that's Jesus, manifested not some other sort of light but only that which was concealed beneath his fleshly interior. This light was the light of the divine nature, and as such, it was uncreated and divine. Jesus was revealing the true light of God to Peter, James, and John. It was that true and uncreated light of God that was shining forth from the humanity of Jesus. And again, remember, Jesus had told his disciples again six days earlier that he was going to be rejected, that he was going to be killed. But Jesus also told them that he was going to rise again. And here on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is hinting at the resurrection that is to come. That in exposing this divine light, Jesus was giving a preview of the resurrection, that there was hope in the darkness and the shadowiness of death, that there was hope that even though he would die, he would experience resurrection. And this divine light was also a preview of the age to come when heaven and earth would no longer be split apart, but that heaven and earth would come together in a beautiful marriage. See, in this age, we're experiencing the separation of heaven and earth. Heaven, which is God's space, and earth, which is humanity's space, currently is, is, is divided, is separated. It's like there's this very thick curtain between heaven and earth. But this was never God's design from the beginning. So we believe when Jesus returns, when we are thrust forward into that coming age, that heaven and earth will come together and God will dwell with God's people forever. There's a picture of that right at the very end of the story of Scripture, right at the end of the book of Revelation. And in Revelation 21, the image is of, 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 a, of a new heavenly Jerusalem that comes from heaven to earth. It's a picture of heaven and earth coming together. And this is what it says about that city, about that coming together of heaven and earth. This is Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23. John the Revelator reports... I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the almighty and the lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God is its light 
and its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus here on the Mount of Transfiguration as his face shone in brightness is giving us a glimpse about our future. That there is coming a time when heaven and earth are reunited and God is with us forever. And at that time, we won't need a temple. We won't need sun and moon to shine because God himself and the lamb, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. We're talking about Jesus will be the brightness that will illuminate that space. That's the coming age. We are anticipating that. We see that here on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's continue on. Verse 3. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So again, Peter, James, and John on this mountaintop with Jesus. He changes. His face is shining with divine glory. And then two very important characters from Scripture show up. Moses and Elijah, and they're talking with Jesus. Now, we don't know, we don't know exactly what they were talking about, but in, in, in some way, it, it, it makes sense that they were there because Moses represents the law. Moses is the lawgiver. Elijah represents the prophets. And Jesus spoke of the Old Testament as the law and the prophets. And so it makes sense that they are there, these representatives of the law and the prophets, because Jesus didn't come from nowhere. Jesus came and was born in a particular time in history, in a particular place. He was born among Jewish people, and the Jewish people were nurtured in the law and the prophets. So it makes sense to to see that that Moses and Elijah would be there because we need the law and the prophets if we're going to make any sense of Jesus and Jesus' kingdom mission on the earth. So it makes makes sense that they're there. Verse 4. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And here is Peter playing his part of the impatient child, because Peter's always the first one to speak. Peter is like that kid in school who, when the teacher asked a question, was the first to raise his hand. He was the kid that had an answer, whether he had an answer or not. Right. So if Jesus was a teacher, a school teacher having class on the Mount of Transfiguration and his face is shining bright and Moses and Elijah are there and the teacher says, class, what should we do? Peter's the first one. Uh, uh, I know we'll build three places up here. We'll build three houses, three temples, three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, of course, you know, the rest of the disciples are sitting there in the back and they're just rolling their eyes. They're like, here goes Peter again. He's always got something to say. But I don't fault Peter. I don't don't fault him at all. But then something surprising happens. If this was not surprising enough, something else surprising happens. Verse 5. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them and from the cloud a voice said 
This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus' face had already been shining in the brightness of divine glory, but now a cloud appears, a bright cloud speaking, a voice that sounds familiar because at the baptism of Jesus, we already heard the voice of God the Father saying, this is my son, my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. And notice that it is a bright cloud that's shining forth the same divine glory. The brightness of that cloud is the same brightness of the face of Jesus because Jesus is very God of very God. Jesus is light from light, very God from very God, as we confess in the Nicene Creed. The brightness of the face of Jesus is the same brightness from this cloud. And again, the voice that speaks out of this cloud is familiar, but adds something. The voice that speaks, which we presume is the voice of God the Father, says, not only is this my son, not only is this the son that I love, not only is this the son that I am pleased in, the voice says, listen to him. Verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. Powerful encounters with God can have an unsettling effect. But Jesus, as Jesus has been doing, is there to remind them that God is a loving father. God is a God that we do not need to be afraid of. And look what happened here. Next verses 7 and 8. But Jesus came and touched them saying, get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is a significant moment. They fell in fear. Jesus comes along because this is what Jesus is doing. God is a loving father. You don't need to fear him. And when they got up and they looked, they only saw Jesus. They didn't see Moses and Elijah anymore. Now, understand this. Moses and Elijah didn't go anywhere. Moses and Elijah are still there. They just have been eclipsed by the brightness of Jesus. And this is significant for us as we understand how God is communicating to us. That if you can imagine a very starry night, imagine being away from the city lights and being in a place where you can see a beautiful starry night. When the sun rises in the morning, those stars don't go anywhere. Those stars are just eclipsed by the brightness of the sun. And this is what happened to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. The law and prophets, they're not going anywhere. Moses and Elijah, they're not going anywhere. They've just been eclipsed by the brightness of Jesus. So for us, we have the law and the prophets in what we call our Old Testament, and they're not going anywhere. 
In fact, we read from the law and the prophets from the Old Testament, but we read them in a certain way. We read them in the light of the brightness of Jesus. Because really, all of the Old Testament, which can be summed up by the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And then you get to the New Testament, you get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are pointing right at Jesus. They are giving us the story of Jesus. And then what comes, le- what comes the rest of the way in the New Testament is just pointing back at Jesus. In other words, we are given this book because this book points us to Jesus. And we hold scripture as sacred insofar as it is pointing to Jesus. And we read all of scripture in the brightness of Jesus. Again, it's not going away. It's just being eclipsed by the brightness of Jesus. Over the last couple of years, I have developed a Bible reading plan following the daily office lectionary. So that in the morning, I'm reading both Old Testament and New Testament. I first read from the Old Testament, then I read somewhere from the epistles. That's, that's the letters of, of Paul and the other apostles all the way through Revelation. And then the last thing I read is something from the gospel. And I like that habit because the last thing I read every morning are the words of Jesus. Because day by day, I want to be illuminated by the brightness of Jesus. So Moses and Elijah, they've been eclipsed. And so Peter, James, and John, they only see Jesus alone. Verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the phrase I want to focus in on is, as they were coming down the mountain. Jesus, who led these three disciples up the mountain, is the same Jesus who then leads them down. I believe that Jesus came down so that we could know him, not only in spectacular spiritual experiences, but so that we can know him in the valley of everyday life. We we love the mountaintop experiences, don't we? Don't we love those encounters with God that are life-altering like Peter, James, and John experienced? I think if you've had those experiences, you, you cherish those. Those are sacred. Those are special. And we can expect those during our life because God is a spiritual being and God can be encountered. We can have Experiences with God that defy explanation, but we can't live there. Our bodies were not made to live on the mountaintop. Our bodies were made to live in the valley. We cannot live on the mountaintop of mystical experience. But in the valley of our everyday lives, we can allow the brightness of Jesus to illuminate all things so we can see clearly because that is what light does. Let me read that to you one more time. We cannot live on the mountaintop of mystical experiences, but 
right here in the valley of our everyday lives, we can allow the brightness of Jesus to illuminate all things so we can see clearly because that is what light does. In other words, Jesus is a way of seeing. Jesus is a way of illuminating all things so we can see things as they are. And in following Jesus, we want to grow into that place so that we can see things illuminated by Jesus. So we can see things from the perspective of Jesus so that we can have the mind of Christ. So we see the way Jesus sees and we begin to think and process information the way Jesus thinks and processes information. Jesus is a way of seeing. Jesus is a way of seeing here in the valley where we live day in and day out. In darkness, everything is covered up in shadows and uncertainty, but light allows us to see things the way they are. C.S. Lewis famously ended an essay, it was also a lecture, Is Theology Poetry?, with this confession. Lewis writes, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but by it, I see everything else. It's one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis. I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Love that from Lewis, but I've always wanted to tweak it a little bit. I want to make, I want to make one little tweak in that quote. I want to substitute Jesus for Christianity because Christianity as a collection of beliefs, Christianity as a religion has not always got it right. We can look at our 2000 year history and we haven't always gotten it right. But Jesus, however, always gets it right. And so if I could tweak Lewis just a little bit, I'd like to say, I believe in Jesus as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. It is in the brightness of Jesus that we can see what is good, what is true and what is beautiful. Not just on the mountaintop of spiritual experience, but every day because that divine glory, that divine brightness is with us everywhere we go. Now, here in the valley where we live, it's easy for us to enter into that brightness so that we can see out. So that we can see the, the good and the bad and the ugly out there. But maybe during this season of Lent, we could do something different. Maybe our focus should be elsewhere. I want us, before we come to communion, to spend a little time in some prayer and maybe some self-examination. So I'm going to invite Pastor Eric and the worship team to come up to the platform to, to provide some music that will help us in this time. Lent, as I said earlier, is really all about Jesus. Lent is a way for us to draw near to Jesus. Lent is also a season for self-reflection, self-examination, 
for repentance. And so maybe in this moment, during the season of Lent, we can let the brightness of Jesus shine into some of the dark places of our own hearts. Perhaps if you have the courage of heart with me this morning, you would go with me to this place where we are not just focusing the brightness of Jesus outwardly, which of course we do. Remember, we are salt and light. Jesus says we are the light of the world. We are reflecting the light of God's love in the world. But maybe here in the season of Lent and in this moment in particular, before we come to celebrate Holy Communion, that we would take some time to allow the brightness of Jesus to shine in our hearts. So here's what I would like for us to do. There's a prayer that comes from Psalm 139. And it's a, it's a prayer of self-examination. It's a prayer that goes something like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray that together. Maybe you can stand up with me. Let's stand up together. And this will be, again, a time for you. We'll pray this all together. But it's a time for you to allow the brightness of Jesus to shine in places that you have not yet exposed to the light of God. Places in your heart that have not yet aligned itself with the Jesus way. Again, I'm talking about attitudes or motivations or ways of thinking. Because you know, shadowy places expand in our heart whenever we are removed from the place of love. And so all we want in this moment is to pray this prayer together so that God, the Holy Spirit, might shine the light of the brightness of Jesus in your heart. And then after we pray this prayer, we're going to just take a pause for just a moment. We're going to offer this prayer to God, and then we're going to pause. We're going to let the musicians play. And as music feel, fills this place, I want you to be open to what the Holy Spirit might put the Spirit's finger on in your own heart. And then as God is revealing things to you, then we're going to pray a prayer of confession together, and then we'll come to the table of communion. So let's offer this prayer together. Pray this with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And now, church, if you would, let's just stand here for a moment. Not in a hurry, but standing here in the presence of God. And maybe God will reveal something to you. Maybe if you're comfortable, just close your eyes for a moment. This way you're not distracted by anything about around you. And let me pray for us just a moment longer. Lord, we've encountered the brightness of Jesus today. And now, Lord, we're asking that you would shine the brightness of that divine glory into our own hearts. That, Lord, we would 
be aware of those places within us that have moved away from love. Lord, may your Holy Spirit in this very moment begin to reveal those things, those things in us that don't look like Jesus, those things that we have hidden from you and perhaps even hidden from our own consciousness. Lord, in this moment, may we be aware. Simply, Lord, may we be aware of where we have moved away from love. Amen and amen. And now you can open your eyes. And now that God has revealed things to us, let's pray our prayer of confession. In this prayer, we'll be acknowledging our sin before the Lord, that we have not always loved God with all of our heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And then at the end of this prayer, I'm going to invite you to come and experience and celebrate Holy Communion. Because as we offer this prayer and then we come, someone will be holding a basket of bread and they will say the body of Christ broken for you. Take a piece of that bread. Someone will have a cup and they'll say the blood of Christ shed for you. Dip the bread in the cup and eat and experience the brightness of Jesus and experience the forgiveness of Jesus. Let's offer church our prayer of confession together. Join me. Let's pray this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And now this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord's will that those who want him should meet him here.